the Rainmaker Evolution to increase freedom, create momentum, and embrace simplicity in your financial services practice. You're listening to the Rainmaker Evolution podcast with Joel Johnson, certified financial planner, co-founder of Johnson Brunetti, author of The Money Map, and leader of the Rainmaker Evolution Mastermind Group. And now, here's Joel. Hey, everybody. This is Joel Johnson. Welcome to another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. Real excited about this podcast. I wanted to talk a little bit about the things a CEO needs to be aware of, respond to, and track, and lead by. So again, the things a CEO of a company needs to be aware of, respond, track, and lead by. And I came up with this on an airplane because I was thinking about the most important things that I need to look at. I look at so many different numbers and pay attention to so many different things, and sometimes I think I make it too complicated. And uh, I know a lot of advisors out there, especially ones that are still selling full-time while trying to run a practice uh, or trying to grow a practice into a business, um, sometimes there can just be too many things to keep track of. And I think it's helpful sometimes to let things go that aren't crucial so that we can grow and scale. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is things that a CEO or metrics a CEO needs to keep track of. I was also thinking of this because I heard an interview once on Bloomberg with Jamie Dimon. Bloomberg, by the way, for those of you that don't know, they have an excellent series. Uh, It's on the weekends. It's on TV, um, in cable TV, and it's on the weekends. And it's about business titans. I think that's actually what it's called, business titans or business masters or something like that. And they interview some fascinating people. But they were interviewing Jamie Dimon once and asking him how he runs an organization that's so large. And he says, well, first of all, he doesn't run it. His leadership team runs it. And uh, they have direct reports who have direct reports and so on and so forth. And he said that he keeps track of 31 things. There are 31 things that he concentrates on. That's it. No more, no less. And he's constantly aware of those things. So here are seven things. We're going to make it a little simple because you're not trying to run J.P. Morgan. You're trying to run a small to medium-sized financial services practice. So here we go. Ready? Number one is the culture of your company. What is the culture of your company? Every company has a culture, and if you don't do your best to shape your culture, what's going to happen is it's going to happen by accident, and your culture will be created by accident, and I think it could be detrimental. Uh, Things that I watch out for in our culture, gossip, um, backbiting, one employee pitting against another. Uh, when somebody, uh, when it's pointed out that somebody made a mistake or somebody fell short, do they immediately make an excuse why? Or do they say, well, you know, that wasn't really my job. It happened when I was gone and so-and-so made the decision. Uh, we don't want any of that happening. We want everything to be very positive. Obviously, there needs to be accountability, but if there's going to be accountability, it's going to be accountability one-on-one to the leadership team and to each other in a very positive way, almost like a sports team. It doesn't do any good to blame somebody who blew the game. Everybody knows somebody blew the game, and they don't need to blame it on the kicker, for instance, in a football game. But they do need to come together, and that kicker will feel enough pressure on his own to get better, or they will be removed from the team. So we really want to pay attention to the culture of our company. Your culture might not be a competitive one. Um, Your culture might be a very um, safe kind of a... um, a fun place to go to work culture, or it may be an incredibly competitive culture. I'm not saying one is good or bad. I'm not going to tell you what your culture should be, but pay attention. We're talking about the things that you need to pay attention to. Pay attention to the culture of your company. One of the things that we've done that I think has really impacted our culture here, and we're now up to, I think, 29, 27 or 29 employees or something like that, is we do Colby tests on every single employee, 
and we pay attention to those Colby tests. In fact, I was looking at two today because, uh, or this week, excuse me, because I was thinking about changing around some people's jobs, giving them different responsibilities. And the first thing I do is I look at that Colby to find out, well, am I doing something that's going to be against their nature? The Colby will tell you what is natural and instinctual and a working style that's natural and instinctual for each employee. Is it an intelligence test? Absolutely not. You can still hire stupid people that have a Colby you're looking for. Um, so it's not an intelligence test, but what it helps do for us, at least at our firm, is it has helped us create a firm where most people spend most of their time working on things that they're good at and they're excited to do it gives them energy. So that's one of the things that I think can help a lot with the culture of your company is the Colby's of employees. So that's number two. Now you might not like Colby or you might want something more technical. That's fine. I like Colby because it's nice and simple and I understand it. And by the way, follow through does not mean follow through on Colby. Uh, and implementor does not mean somebody that implements things on Colby. So make sure if you're using Colby, you understand what those different items mean. It's four simple items and you can use it and your employees will really benefit from it by learning a little bit more about themselves. So that's number two. So again, just to review, number one is culture of the company. I think you ought to be paying attention to it. Number two, the Colby's of your employees. Um, and let me back up to culture of the company for just a minute too before I forget something. I think this is important. Do you have a culture where people can question you or push back on your leadership? Uh, I certainly do. A little while back, I made kind of a mistake. I made an assumption, and then I let it eat at me a little bit. Um, assumptions are very dangerous, by the way. I let it eat at me, and then I shot out a text to two of my leadership team, and um, they were hurt by it. Uh, they were bothered by it, and both of them came back to me and, and pushed back really hard on what I had said. I apologized to both of them. Um, I was out of line. Um, I do also think, though, for my nature, it needed to get said. It should have been said in a more healthy way. But the point I'm trying to make here is, do you have a culture where there's open interaction and people can push back at you? I think that's very, very, very important. Number three, the third metric is your employee's satisfaction level, ambition level, and attitude level. The big three for your employees, satisfaction, ambition, and attitude. Now, this is different than culture. The culture is a collective uh, gauge of your company. Your overall culture gets created and meshed together by everybody. This is more specific to employees. What is their satisfaction level? Are they happy working with you? I want people that are totally happy working here. Totally happy, that may have to do with compensation, that may have to do with excitement, that may have to do with the fact that they feel safer at work than they do at home emotionally and so on. I, I don't know what that might be, but I want people that are totally satisfied working here. It's very important to me. Now, that doesn't mean they're, they're not ambitious. I'm also looking for certain people in my company to be totally ambitious with the caveat that I know not everybody is going to think like me. So I'm very ambitious. My sales guys tend to be very ambitious and set big goals. Um, actually, some of the people that are non-sales people in my company set big goals and are constantly trying to improve. Um, but not everybody is going to have the same ambition. But I want to know what is the ambition level? Are they just showing up for a job? That's the person I don't want here. Um, I want somebody that's got some kind of ambition and hopefully working towards some personal improvement. By the way, um, something to pay attention to, I think, is the level of physical fitness that somebody has when they come in and interview with you. Now, we cannot obviously discriminate based on certain things, but you can tell a little bit about a person's discipline level and their lifestyle based on their physical fitness level. And I don't mean we need to hire all great athletes or anything like that, but I think you get what I'm saying here. There is something to be said 
when you see somebody's physical fitness level. And again, they don't all have to be great athletes, but they should at least be taking care of themselves to the degree where they're you know, eating somewhat healthy. Certainly having an exercise program is helpful. You'll just have sharper people working for your organizations. Attitude level kind of goes along with this, right? This is the third thing. Satisfaction level, ambition level, and attitude level. What is their attitude? Are people overall positive people? I want overall positive people. I don't mind if somebody has a bad day, obviously, and from time to time somebody needs to be picked up or given a little extra time or maybe I pay a little attention to them or their leadership uh, pays a little attention to them. So that's important. But what is their overall attitude level? Is it kind of a negative attitude? Are they caught up in reality shows and he said and she said and all that kind of stuff? Guess what? That's going to carry into the workplace. Or are they overall positive? Are they trying to speak good of all people and so on? That's what I tend to be looking for. So again, that's number three, employees' satisfaction, ambition, and attitude. Here we go, number four. Now this has a little bit to do, less to do with people and a lot more to do with your company. So the fourth metric is how will you grow? And I guess that's not a metric or a measurement. That's you needing to come up with a plan. You, and if you have a leadership team like I do, coming up with a plan, how are you going to grow? Just this week, I sat with my marketing director, Lori Tobias. We sat in one of our new conference rooms with a big whiteboard on the wall, and we started writing down, based on the goal we set, what are the levers we can pull to get there? And it was things like more workshops, more referrals, um, larger cases. We just brainstormed on all the different areas. More business from existing clients. We know that we've got clients we don't have anywhere near all their money. How do we go after that in a systematic way? So how will you grow? It's not enough just to set a goal. We've got to have some kind of a roadmap to get there, knowing that it's most important to set that goal and get going towards the goal. But sooner or later, we've got to think of how will you grow. So that's the fourth thing I want you to define in your company is how will you grow. Number five goes right behind how will you grow, and that's how will you scale. If you grow and you can't scale, meaning you can't create repeatable processes and systems, then all you're going to do is work harder to grow. Everybody's just going to have to work harder. Hey, it's easy to grow 20%. You want to know how to grow 20%? Everybody works 20% harder. It's that simple. That is not the way to grow a company. You need to grow a company so it's less and less dependent on people as you grow and more dependent on systems and processes. You should be able to step out of your company and have it still survive. That is the goal. And hopefully not just survive, but thrive. So how do you do that? How do you scale? How do you scale your marketing? A perfect example of scale in marketing is workshops versus radio. If I want to increase my leads from radio, all I have to do is buy more radio time. That doesn't take more people. It just takes a bigger check and a different station in a different area. That's easy. If I want to grow by doing more workshops, that's much more time intensive and I might have some more scale challenges. Now, don't misinterpret me and get into the weeds here. I'm not talking about doing more radio versus doing more workshops. I'm just saying you need to be asking the question, how will I scale this thing? So number four, how will you grow? Figure that out. And number five, how do you scale it if you grow? So you can begin to step back. I had a great conversation with Brian in my office this week. He said he's spending a lot of his time now thinking. Now think about that. The guy that runs my new business and customer service department is spending a lot or most of his time thinking about growing the company. That is awesome. 
That's awesome. He's got his team working so well and those processes in place that he doesn't have to be sucked into that anymore and he can work on improvement, quality control, growth, working with his people. I think that's fantastic. That's an example of scaling. Now, if he builds better systems, then we just plug people into those systems and that's how you scale. Number six, the thing you need to pay attention to. Here's a metric for you now. Return on investments in specific marketing channels. Those of you that have been in my Rainmaker group, and it's probably every one of you listening to this, because I don't think anybody that's uh, not in the Rainmaker group knows about this podcast. But those of you who have been in my group, uh, you know that we spend a lot of time tracking our marketing channels and what is our return on investments. So pay very, very close attention to your return on investments. You want to catch something that's not working as early as possible, and you want to catch something that's working well as early as possible also so you can divert more dollars into the things that are working well while trying to fix or abandon the things that aren't working well. Did you hear that? You can fix them or abandon them. But you want to channel your money and leverage your money into the areas that are working really well right now. So return on your investments. And last but not least, what are your sales metrics? What are your sales metrics? What are your closing ratios per advisor? I recommend that you count a first appointment to who becomes a client. Don't play any games with anything else. Um, If you do pre-qualifying, then I think you ought to count the pre-qualifying calls to who becomes a client. Uh, I think you want to find out your marketing delivers appointments or people that raise their hand, people that are asking for some help. I think you want to know out of how many people that ask for help, how many am I closing? Because then you will look at your entire sales process instead of cherry picking the easy ones. If you cherry pick the easy ones and you scale, you're going to have a real hard time keeping track of that. So it's just my opinion on that. It's what's worked for us. Um, Those of you that maybe have better business minds than I have, you can push me back on that or develop your own systems. But I want to know out of every new appointment that one of my advisors have, because that's my job, to deliver new appointments to them. It's their job to bring those people in as clients as much as possible when they're right fit clients. I want to know what that closing ratio is per advisor. Uh, Also, make sure, like I said earlier, get the true measurements. What about the size of the cases? Uh, That's a sales metric, right? Because in the old life insurance business, they used to teach us, well, how do you increase your business? You either sell bigger cases or you sell more cases. And there was a third way, and I, I can't remember it. Um, but sell, sell bigger cases or sell more cases. So what is the size of your cases? Our goal this year, interestingly enough, is to bring in the same amount of clients as we did last year, but grow by a significant amount through what? Better quality people. We're finding that we've got better quality people, and then we tend to get more, we will tend to get more business from our existing clients because we're putting some things in place to do that. So uh, the size of cases is very important. How about this? Number of meetings to close. How many meetings does it take you to close business? This is from the time somebody turns into a lead and raises their hand that they have an interest in having a conversation with you. How many meetings does it take? Is your first meeting a phone meeting and then there's a face-to-face and then there's a second face-to-face and a third face-to-face? I know a couple people that still do the old first call close, not in my office, but couple people that still do first call closes but what's the number of meetings to close I think that's an important sales metric what you do with that information is up to you but I know how many meetings on average it takes our guys to close I also know the time from the first appointment to when somebody commits to us we call that the paperwork appointment they might not have their complete investment plan in place but they've bought us so what's the time from the time I have a first appointment to a paperwork appointment as our clients have gotten more substantial as our clients have gotten slightly more sophisticated, that time frame is longer. 
10 years ago, heck, we were doing first call closing on three quarters of the people that became clients. It wasn't a sophisticated client. They were much smaller cases. It was safe money only. It was a totally different ballgame. Now we're doing full planning and we want that client to be with us for five, 10, 15 plus years. And so it's taking a little longer. Also, they're busier people. They have lots of stuff going on. So what's the time from that first appointment to paperwork? So I've given you the seven things. Let's go over them one more time. Seven things you need to pay attention to. Culture of company, number one. Number two, Colby's of employees. Number three, employee satisfaction, ambition, and attitude level. And I think those all three sort of fit together, but those are three separate things. Number four is how will you grow? And number five, as you grow, how will you scale? So you're not just working harder and going crazy. Number six is what is the specific return on every investment you make per marketing channel? What's your return? Is it three to one? Is it two to one? Is it seven to one? And then last but not least, your sales metrics, closing ratios, uh, true measurements of those closing ratios, the size of the cases, number of meetings to close, and time from first appointment to paperwork. Now, I want you to step back and just think about this list I gave you for a minute. The less mature business flips this on its head and puts sales metrics first. Let me say that again. The less mature business puts sales metrics first. It's all about selling. Selling, selling, selling. I gotta sell everybody I see. I gotta sell people at the golf course. I gotta sell the dry cleaner. I can't even go to a little league game without looking around for prospects. I'm gonna sell, 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 sell. I'm gonna go nuts selling. I don't wanna live that way, quite frankly. And that's not a mature business because that keeps all the pressure on you. No, I'm not saying ignore sales. Please don't think I'm saying ignore sales. But what I'm saying is I think the bigger you get, the more substantial a company is, the culture of that company becomes important. Sales are obviously still important. Pay attention to sales, pay attention to marketing. But I think the bigger you get, it's about your people and it's about your culture. Think about big organizations you admire. They tend to have a certain culture, whether it's Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton, whether it's Advisors XL, whether it's Disney, whether it's Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch, Bank of America. You know, Wells Fargo, for a, an example that may be a little bad right now, Prudential, which is, you know, maybe not necessarily a very good example, but think about the culture of that, those companies. I would say that their marketing and their sales are much more affected by their culture when they get big than the activities of marketing and sales. I don't know if you'd agree with that. I don't have any scientific evidence to make that up, but we're doing pretty well here based on my emphasis, especially lately, on employees and culture. So I think it's working pretty good. One last time to go over those seven things. Number one, culture of company. Pay attention to it. Number two, Colby's of employees. It helps you make sure you got your people in the right place. Number three, the employee level of satisfaction, ambition, and attitude. Number four, how will you grow? Number five, how will you scale as you grow? Number six, your return on investments in specific marketing channels. And number seven, sales metrics. I thought this would be really helpful this time of year. We're rolling into World Series of Sales in a couple weeks. We are going to uh, see you there. I look forward to seeing you there. I want you guys to have just a totally kick-ass, huge year. And so uh, hopefully this is helpful for you. And um, this is I think this is my 40th or 50th Rainmaker podcast. So we got a lot of them out there. You might want to go back and listen to some of those old early ones. And I enjoy particularly the interviews with the other advisors. We've got six of them now uh, up there. So I think that's helpful also. Thank you again. I appreciate each and every one of you. And this is Joel Johnson wishing you an excellent day.